Hello, and welcome to the Humumu Halloween Home Horror Hoedown. The podcast where we watch 31 horror movies throughout the hallowed month of October. Ranging from the critically acclaimed to film school projects gone gruesomely awry. And we take them all way too seriously. I'm your host, Mike Hommel. And I'm your host, Sully Hommel. Now warning, we use a ghoulish number of spoilers, so watch the movies first. Second warning, we don't know anything about anything, so don't take us seriously while we take these movies seriously. Today, for our 31st episode... Halloween. ...of the 2020 Hamumu Home Halloween Horror Hoedown. <laughs> no. <laughs> I don't know what order they go in. Hamumu Halloween Home Horror Hoedown. That, for episode 31, we are going to talk about the movie Candyman from 1992. Yeah. I realized shortly before we watched it that, well, I mean, maybe I didn't realize, I discovered on the internet and was like, oh yeah, that this is a Clive Barker joint. And I didn't mean to do that to you. It is. And I realized it as we were watching the opening credits and I saw that <laughs> Clive Barker was an executive producer. And I was like, oh, man. He's awesome. That's not what I was thinking. Oh. But I kept an open mind. I did. So Candyman is the story of a graduate student named Helen and her partner, Bernadette, as they do research into their thesis, which is about urban legends. Mm -hmm. Specifically, they are researching the urban legend of Candyman, who, in theory, appears to you if you say his name five times into a mirror, and then murders you with the hook that is stabbed into the stump of his right arm where his hand used to be so it starts off like from the very beginning there's a lot of like unpleasantness to this movie is that unpleasantness he's not wearing a hook (laughs) a a prosthetic on his arm his amputated arm the hook is jammed into the end of his arm yeah i feel like they didn't really prepare us for that they were kind of like he's got a hook for a hand because they chopped off his hand they didn't say then somebody jammed a hook in there no they did oh they did yeah i caught it and i was like wait what (laughs) that can't mean what it sounds like it means and then we see him and i'm like oh no it means exactly what it sounded like it was pretty appalling maybe he has a reason to be angry with the world (laughs) maybe (laughs) maybe (laughs) I mean, it's so, the it's the hatchet tradition of the villain that has been tortured and abused and uh-huh. therefore is reenacting that anger on the world. Yep. So this movie takes place in the Cabrini Green Projects in Chicago. I don't know if that's a real project. I do. Ooh, is it? It is real. Okay. They really filmed there. And... They kind of had to negotiate with the residents about it and had to let a bunch of them be extras in the movie in order to do it. Nice. Um, So anyway, it takes place largely in this project. And it is definitely trying to address or thinks it's addressing this idea of, you know, haves and have nots. There's the professor and his graduate student wife who are clearly in the haves. 
They live yes. in a building that was meant to be a project. I think that's an interesting element. Yes. And like, but they discovered that it had like, it was in the right part of town and it had a good view and whatever. And so. <laughs> Didn't figure that out before they built it. Yeah. I don't know what that was about, but, but they built it as low income housing and then realized that they could sell it to rich people and make good neighborhoods. <laughs> and so they revamped it. So this professor and his wife are living in this fancy building and then she goes into the Cabrini Green project and we see the contrast of what that building yeah. looks like and, and how those people are living. Well, it's interesting. They make a point that it has the exact same layout because it's just the you know, government project. Right. Which is weird. Like you you think that the the apartment you get as a rich person, the condo you get as a rich person is the same size as the apartment that they're giving out to poor people. I don't know about that. That is interesting. Now, she did make a point of kind of rolling her eyes about how she paid condo prices mm -hmm. for what was originally meant to be low income housing apartments. Like, yeah. you know, there was kind of, they kind of hovered over the idea that it's all a matter of trappings and labels anyway. Yeah, it kind of is. Where do you want to start with this one? What what thoughts were you having while we watched this movie? I'll throw out this simple little one. Once again, we see a game, air quotes, in which the goal is to get killed. Like yeah. literally, if you succeed at this game, you die. Just like Midnight <laughs> Man. It's like, no, I, I don't want to play. Thanks. Right? I was thinking about that, and I think the thrill of it... Yeah, it's all about adrenaline. Is, right. Are you going to take the risk? But like, it, it's the dumbest adrenaline, because either it's fake, and that's not a risk, or it's real, and you just die. It's not like skydiving, where you get to experience <laughs> thrills and probably survive. Because you you think it's not real. Yeah. The risk is, what if I'm wrong? Yeah. And I, I legitimately thought about it. I was like, so would I look in the mirror and say Candyman five times? At first I was like, absolutely, because it's not real. And then I was like, but that's what this woman thinks. Well, that's... And she's dead now. Like, <laughs> well, yeah. The thing for me is I wouldn't do it. If somebody was like, you know, oh, oh, really? So it's real? I dare you. And then be like, okay, I'll do it because I know it's not real. But I wouldn't do it because what's the point? There's no reason to do it if it's not real. Yeah, there's and yet, no reason to do it. Oh, are you daring me? I am not daring Good you thing because this mirror I live is in covered. the same house you do. I don't <laughs> want him coming around. <laughs> yeah, he'd be like, be my victim. Well, okay. One of the key things that I noticed was, so she and Bernadette are in the bathroom. They say it four times together. And Which then, is eight times already. <laughs> And then Helen is the only one who says it the fifth time and she gets mad and she calls Bernadette a coward or whatever. She's like, oh, you chickened out. Mm -hmm. Bernadette is one of the first people to be murdered by him. And I'm like, that's not fair. <laughs> she fair. didn't say it the fifth time. I mean, I feel like the rules are not those rules. It's more, I mean, he gets into this whole thing where he's pursuing Helen because she's very special to him. And he kind of like the, saying the name is hardly even important, really. Well, I think where that was going was touching on how urban legends sometimes come from real things that happened being morphed 
over time into not real things. Yes. I was thinking, okay, first of all, this movie features a college course in urban legends, <laughs> which didn't Final 90s, Destination do that too? <laughs> they made it seem like this is a real thing. And then they went to a dinner with another guy who studies urban legends. It's a very popular uh, area of science. Three characters in this movie are pursuing degrees or have degrees in urban legends. Yeah. That's weird. I, I'm sure that degree exists, but it's not common. <laughs> I mean, that's a specialization. But this movie does something that those other urban legend movies, like Urban Legend, for example. Mm -hmm. I don't really remember that too well, but I know it doesn't do this stuff. This actually delves into like what it means to be a legend. And it, it's very interesting. I like what they do. Like it's It's supposed to just be a stupid slasher movie, but really it talks about being remembered and yeah because Candyman, whose name is never said and i don't believe that this person that this urban legend is built on would have been called Candyman when he was alive as a child like as a you know maybe he was james terwilliger candyman maybe i don't know but he is an actual human being and he experiences this horrific thing that happens that very much fits within history. Like, it's a very yeah. real horrific thing in that he is a black man who is in a relationship with a white woman and he gets murdered for it. Pretty in standard. I forget when that was. Oh, uh, in 1890. Which, yeah, I mean, was that was a thing that was going on. Yeah. I really thought it was interesting what it was saying about how we took that thing that's truly horrific and real about what people do to each other and distanced ourselves from it by making it into something that clearly isn't real. Yeah. And then the character in the movie is... I mean, he keeps saying to her at the end, believe in me. Like, that's the yeah. thing he says with the most passion in his voice is believe in me. Like, he is so distraught that the reality of what he suffered has been turned into something that people can just disregard as ridiculous. Yeah. I didn't think of it that way. I was thinking more on the on the straightforward level of the movie. It's like, it's kind of a common trope of the a god who is only as powerful as mm -hmm. the people's belief in him. And so, like, she was ruining their believing in him by yes. exposing real crimes that were done in his name. So he's like, you're going to, you know, fire this legend back up. And that was cool anyway. But it is interesting to connect it to... So in that way, it's sort of like Elf. <laughs> it's very much like Elf. It's almost the same movie, really. No, you know what I mean? Like, like that... That in not believing in Santa, he was losing his power yeah. and they had to, you know, sing to him. And yeah. yeah, there was definitely, there was definitely that. And then there was the added layer. And this part almost felt like too much. Like, I think I would have preferred if they had left it out. But there was the added layer of Helen, the graduate student, looking exactly like the woman yeah. that Candyman had been in love with in the beginning, like how it had all started. Yeah. And almost, you know, it was like almost making the connection that like she was the reincarnation of this woman or or she definitely yeah. represented this woman in some There's way. There's really, it doesn't really add anything. It's true. It course, just makes it more convoluted. All she really looked like was the painting on the wall of the lady. So, well, knows? and even that, I was like, okay, so they both had faces. Like, <laughs> yeah. they both 
both had two eyes and a nose. And I mean, they're. But the camera zoomed in on it, which means she looked just like right, it. Right, right. Oh, I picked up on that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so I, I felt like that piece of it was a little much. I think it, it was stronger without trying to force that. It almost felt like the movie didn't trust itself to be strong enough and was like, no, but look, this is why. I'm like, dude, yeah. he doesn't need he has another all kinds reason. Of reasons, yeah. yeah. I mean, she's climbed into the apartment that is his, his, <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, yeah. She's been going around making people not believe in him. She flat out says she doesn't believe in him. She's just straight up disrespecting him all around. Plus, she summoned him. <laughs> she, <laughs> she knew did. the rules. And then she did it again. <laughs> yeah. And we have failed to mention that a big chunk of this movie, which is kind of ruined for us 20 years later, 30 30 years later? What? Sorry. No! (laughs) What's kind of ruined for us three or four sequels later is this movie really leaves it open and likely that she's the one killing people for a big chunk. I mean... Oh, yeah. I think at the point where Candyman lets her out of her restraints, it's like, well, she probably couldn't have gotten out of those. But other than that... It's right up till even really the whole movie. If it wasn't for that, she could be the killer. Yes, it could easily have been revealed at the end suddenly that she was a completely unreliable narrator and that the things that we thought we were seeing weren't happening the way we saw them happen. Yeah. And it it also leaves it very open-ended as to whether she now has the same legend powers maybe as Candyman. Like... And I'm only just now putting this together because of what you were saying earlier, but is what she did in saving the baby at the end, did that give her her own urban legend status, which is now keeping her around? Yes, they definitely made that clear. You know, there was a painting of her as like Joan of Arc, Mm -hmm. basically. And like the whole, whole... everyone who lived in that building showed up at her funeral. Yeah. Even though nobody else did, like it was, it was her husband, her husband's <laughs> new girlfriend. Yeah, that was awkward. A couple of other guys, which I assume were like friends of her husband. I don't know. Like there were yeah. like four people at her funeral until the entire building showed up to pay their respects to her. Yeah. So, I mean, she did. And then, of course, she used her Candyman powers at the very end. Oh, yeah, she did. You know, okay, I think Bloody Mary, you have to say three times. They should have done that. Because the final scene of this movie where Helen is called through the mirror, first of all, saying Helen in front of a mirror just doesn't <laughs> doesn't do it. It's not the same as Candyman <laughs> and Second Bloody of Mary. all, he had to say it five times, which I only noticed him doing four, but there must have been five. No, I think he only did four. I don't know. Maybe that's her deal. She's that's, at four. That's what I wrote down. I'm like, oh, well, Candyman needs five. Helen only <laughs> needs four. I guess that's how it works. But I could see it much more reasonably him, you know, kind of accidentally doing three of them in front of the mirror instead of four. Four is like, he he threw that last one in (laughs) real directly. It was, yeah, he was, he was realizing that he had made a huge mistake in that he suddenly, now that his wife is dead, he's like, oh, this college student i'm having relations <laughs> painted with. my whole house pink right and who yeah he he just suddenly realized that he was in a relationship with a child basically i mean not a child she yeah. was an adult but she was a super immature adult and he was suddenly realizing this and regretting it 
And I could, like you said, I could understand him kind of moaning his wife's name (laughs) three times, but four times was a little much. But I will tell you, seeing Helen appear in the mirror behind him and unzipping him the way she did, I was so on board for that. He needed to be unzipped. Okay, but I think it would have been better Mm. if she had set him on fire. If she had her own thing, because she didn't have a hook hand officially. No, she had one of those. It's actually a tool that you use for moving hay bales. Or ice. Or ice, yes. I don't know which way it started. I only ever (laughs) used it for moving hay bales. (laughs) I never used it at all. Hold on to the handle, and then there's like a hook that you swing. Yeah. Yeah, fire would have been nice. Also, it would have been cool if she had more obviously set up the girlfriend to take the blame. That would be cool, yeah. Because that girlfriend needed to be taken down, too. Yeah, because she was throwing meat around. It was weird. Wow, she was having (laughs) such a temper tantrum because Trevor was in the bathroom being sad. How dare he? On his wife's funeral day. Ugh. Yeah, that girl did not understand boundaries. So one, like, totally little random thing that I noticed was when she found... She went into the apartment where that was Candyman's Cathedral, like you said... She found a pile of candy and there was a razor blade in one of the pieces of candy or like yes. in one of the candy bars. And I was all, oh, I so remember that. Like, I remember I was young enough to still be trick-or-treating, but old enough to understand what it meant. Like why parents were making their kids get their candy checked because that was when that started. Yeah. This idea that, you know, oh, people are sliding razor blades into candy bars and passing them out on Halloween. I don't know that that ever actually happened. I think I've heard that it's never happened, but I mean, I'm sure once people talked about it, somebody did it somewhere. They were like, oh, what a fun idea. Well, it's like the idea of like satanic cults doing serial murders (laughs) and stuff. Like like they didn't do it until somebody was saying, oh, they're doing it. And then they were like, hey, uh, we should be doing that. That's cool. (laughs) Yeah, definitely a very rare thing at most. It made me think of all those other things that... The 90s were an age of new terrors for parents. Like, Mm. I think about how, and it was candy related again, but you know those like strips of paper that you get that had like sugar dots on them? I know what you're talking about. And like the rumor that that those were laced with LSD or something. So if your kids were eating those sugar dots on the paper, they were probably doing drugs. And I was like, what? Those were disgusting. (laughs) And they had paper stuck to them. (laughs) Actually, I don't know if I ever had them. I did. I hated them. Yeah. Yeah. Gross. It was weird, though. It was all the LSD in them. It was like bitter. Oh, see, my parents wouldn't let me do LSD. Oh, I know. Sorry, they didn't let me watch Saturday morning cartoons either. It was very sad. Oh man! Or eat sugary cereal. That is the worst. I know. Yeah. It's terrible. The nineties are a painful time for me to think about. I can imagine. <laughs> Back to the issues of race that this movie talks about. Mm-hmm. There are kind of two things that I really noticed. One doesn't take much noticing, but there's a whole thing in there where the cops have come and dealt with these crimes happening before in these projects. So there's two crimes that yeah. that have happened recently. One is that Candyman supposedly attacked a teenage boy, maybe younger than that, like 10, 12-year-old boy in a bathroom yeah. and disfigured him, murdered him. And, oh no. I think he survived. He survived. 
but he was disfigured. And the other one is that Candyman broke into an apartment and killed an old woman. Yeah. And the cops, you know, kind of investigated that and did stuff. But then Helen goes into the bathroom where the kid was attacked. She's, you know, researching this story. Mm -hmm. And she gets attacked by Candyman, who turns out is just a guy who's using a hook. Right. There's four, like, young males who are attacking her. (laughs) And all they do is smack her on the face with the hook, which I don't get. They, like, bruised her face and knocked her out. I mean, I guess they were trying to send her a message. They weren't actually trying to kill her. They hit her pretty hard, though. She Like, half of her face was black and blue. Yeah. But, I mean, when you got a hook, that's not the best use. But it was a bad idea because what the cops do when a white woman is attacked in these projects is they lock the whole place down, escort everybody out of the building, and just, you know, it's Gestapo. Right. That felt very true. And she even commented on it in a very, I'm a liberal kind of way. She was like... And when a white woman is attacked, they all come out for that. Right. How which woke is am I? Literally exactly what I'm saying now, but still, she said it then. I mean, it's true. It is true. Yeah. But it's one thing to like say that she she was aware of that, but she didn't use that awareness to make different choices. She still walked into that situation and yeah. allowed it to happen, which is almost worse than if she hadn't been aware. Yeah. I mean, it's interesting because, like, should she not be able to go there? I mean, she was doing dangerous things specifically, but it's, yeah, it's weird know. to think. Because, like, this whole movie is kind of focused around the idea that these projects are so gang-ridden and ruled by crime that nobody goes there unless they have to. And people avoid it completely. And I know that's a real thing. And it's... It's weird. Like, she goes in there, and it's like she's going into a different world where she has to negotiate with this these other people who aren't Americans. They're members of this community. And it's strange. Yeah. It's... It's not fake. It's... That's sort of a thing. But it's... It's weird that you can't just be like, well, I'm just a person. I'm going into this place where people mm-hmm. live. We're just hanging out. We're normal. But it's not because they've been besieged and... Well, I think part of it, you know, again, I'm going to say, I think part of it is that she didn't go in there with the idea that she was going to develop relationships and be a part of that community. And she, she wasn't there to help them. She wasn't there to improve their lives any or even be aware of what was going on in their lives or, you know, they weren't actual human beings to her. They were a research project. That's true. But what she was researching wasn't them. She wasn't researching how they live. She was researching a specific thing, which if you think about, you know, she went to the suburbs and walked door to door asking about things, that would be a totally different vibe. You know, like, why is that so different? And I know it's because these people have been marginalized and abused and they're rightfully suspicious and concerned for their well-being. They're not going to trust people coming in out of the blue. But it's interesting how that is such a difference. And her presence walking from door to door in the suburbs would not have had the same impact or it just doesn't carry the same consequences as her as a upper middle class white woman yeah. walking into these projects and and just nosing around like again i don't yeah. i i really didn't like the fact that she she wasn't invited there mm-hmm. she just went in and was like 
whatever. And, you know, she's like, okay, well, we're going to pretend we're cops. I mean, she not really pretend yeah. we're cops, but we're going to look enough like cops that they won't want to mess with us. You know, she was manipulating. That's true. She was manipulating the fact that she had the advantage in this situation. Yeah. Well, sort of. Some advantage, some disadvantage. Well, right. Right. But I guess that's why then when she saw, oh, a white woman gets attacked and this is, you know, uh-huh. it wasn't enough. I'm like, okay, you can't pretend you're all woke right now <laughs> when you were very happy to use your whiteness to do what you wanted to do. The other piece of that was when she was being like possessed by Ken the first time and he captures her and she ends up, uh, she wakes up in Anne-Marie's apartment Yeah. and the dog is dead and the baby is missing and Anne-Marie is screaming. And then suddenly there's a white lady in her apartment who she didn't know was there. And she's, who's holding a knife. Like she automatically assumes that, that Helen had something to do with what happened. Understandably. Reasonably. And I'm not sure she didn't. uh, Right. (laughs) And, you know, then there's a fight. And again, like, because it was the white lady attacking the black lady, the cops came in and they pulled him apart and they yeah. took her off to jail. I don't think it would have gone the same way had it been the other way around in Helen's apartment. Yeah, definitely not. And I think, you know, this movie made a point of disc- bringing these issues to light. Like, it was doing it on purpose. But also, I think it was, you know, it was a little bit of wokeness, too. Like, performative. Yeah. There's also, I mean, on the opposite side of that scale is that it's a real white savior situation where she literally, like, she becomes the savior. Yes. She's an angel portrait on the wall. And the, the entire community comes out because she rescued one kid like i I realize they're happy about that but are they all do how many of them actually care about this one lady's kid also i mean yes she did rescue the baby from being burnt up in the pile of garbage but if i were one of the people who lived in that building i'd be like what was the white lady doing in the pile of garbage with the baby like and why does she keep coming back Right. Every time she comes around, somebody in our building gets hurt or dead. Like, I don't understand why they made her the savior. And that's the piece where I was like, oh, I don't think that would have happened. Like, that that was weird. That felt like white people writing this story. But there was, I mean, there was some magic involved there. Like, because in the end, the kid throws Candyman's hook on her casket making a ding in her beautiful casket mm. and and there was this understanding of the magic of what was happening in that i mean i think they believed that she had defeated Candyman and saved them well, you from... know what if they believe that that's much more reasonable that they think she's great and they all come out i hadn't even thought of that but also like, that's the piece that feels like a white person writing it like yeah like i don't believe that they would have given up a hundred years worth of lore because one white lady saved a baby from a fire. You yeah. know what I mean? Like, yeah. because they it had already established, the movie had already established that Candyman was kind of the, the thing that they blamed all the bad things that happened to them on. Yeah. You have to blame somebody. You have to put that anger somewhere. So they put it toward Candyman. They put that fear toward Candyman, which, okay, I'm on board with that. What I'm not on board with is the idea that they would then be like, oh, 
we are saved. She now has saved them from all the bad things that are happening to them. I don't yeah. think so. And they wouldn't think so. So, I, I mean, it's really, it's the white savior narrative. Yeah. Is- yeah. The structure of the story. Yeah. What about the bees? What about the bees? So I understand how they were introduced, like why they became a part of the story. Because Candyman actually died being stung by hundreds of bees as part of his torture when, when yeah. he was murdered. But then he's made of bees. I mean, bees are kind of his thing. I think that's just the story they wrote. They were so <laughs> minimally part of his thing, though. Like they were yeah. his thing sometimes. Well, I think there's, I don't know, I think it's its the lore. It's his, you know, bees. Like, like like flies around Satan or whatever. He's got bees. And then his mouth was full of bees. And he did was, he put bees into her when he kissed her? I guess her? so. Although nothing really happened there to her after any that, bees. which is weird. At what yeah. point did she die? I think just when she burned up. I don't know why. I don't know what happened in the scene with all the bees. Because she just kind of passed out and then woke up and was fine. But there's a lot of weird magicalness about all her interactions with Candyman. Yeah. And it, it would be interesting if she was already dead at that point like he made a whole point of this is gonna really hurt i'm going to torture the crap out of you and you're gonna die painfully and And then he really didn't maybe that happened and then the legend of her went into the fire i don't know it was weird because he didn't follow through on the deal he did not let the kid go he put him in the fire right Oh, and there's interesting things going on there because technically, I mean, I guess maybe a lawyer could argue that he did let the baby go at that point. Yeah. And that it was the kids trying to kill him yeah. that set the Which, thing on that's fire. That's fun thing that they saw her little hook uh-huh. and they're like, Candyman's in there. Right. She was going in to save the baby. They thought it was Candyman. They set this pile of trash on fire. I mean, and I guess there's something there about like all the the layers and the misunderstandings and the yeah. people's assumptions and whatever. I mean, it's all part of the legend of Helen. I guess. I didn't realize she had died at all until we were at her funeral. And I was like, oh, because I made yeah. a note of how like she saved her baby. She saved the baby and lost all her hair. Like it seemed like a fair trade. And then we're <laughs> at her funeral. And I was like, oh, mm, whoops. Yeah. I mean, I understand why she died. Yeah, it was. They didn't really show it, though. It was it was pretty bad. So I found this movie very interesting. I do think that there were some problematic race things like we've talked about. However, given that this movie was made in 1992, those race things, it doesn't make them unproblematic. But I feel like this movie was progressive for that time. Yeah, Clyde Barker pulls it through again, right? Okay. <laughs> yeah, no, yes, yes. I will I I will give this one to Clive Barker. Cool. Um, yeah, I think it's tough because it's not okay that people had those thoughts. Like it was very much, you know, black people are scary. Mm-hmm. Look at these projects. Like, you know, oh, they they're in the projects because they do drugs and they're whatever. Yeah. But it wasn't entirely like that. Like, there were a lot of authentic characters who lived in that building. And I think they made a point of, you know, going into Anne-Marie's apartment and being like, here's a nice, normal Mm -hmm. house. You Mm -hmm. know, the the hallways were super scary, but she's in this nice little Mm -hmm. apartment and taking care of herself. And she's a normal person. She's a good mom. She's taking care of her son, you know. 
Yeah. So I have a hard time because I don't trust myself to understand whether something is doing a good job of portraying other cultures or not, or portraying not white people. (laughs) So I would be interested in hearing what other people thought about this, but it felt to me like, particularly given the time that it was made, that this movie was making an effort to not be terrible. Yeah. Um, And I appreciated that. And story-wise, like, there was a lot I liked about this story. I was very impressed that it had the slasher qualities. Like, you can feel the slasher movie in it, but it also touched on a lot of other things, and it was, there was more depth to it than like Hatchet. Hatchet was a fun (laughs) slasher movie, but there was no depth there. It missed all the points that Candyman did better, I think. Like, in fact, as I'm making this comparison, even, I'm thinking about how Candyman did the things that I was wishing Hatchet had done. And for that reason, I am going to give Candyman the four that I didn't give Hatchet because of all the isms. So I am giving Candyman four medicine cabinets out of five. Okay, yeah. I'm so impressed that you like a Clive Barker movie of sorts, a semi-Clive Barker movie. And I was also pleasantly surprised. I, I know I've seen parts of this before, but I don't think I've really ever seen the whole thing. And I really liked it. I feel like it's in a whole different world than Jason, Freddy, Hatchet. It's mm-hmm. like technically a slasher movie, I guess, but it's nothing like, it's not even like the same kind of movie. It doesn't, there's not a group of people that gets killed off one by one. It's all plot. It's all got reasons mm-hmm. for why different things happen. And it just, it, it's telling a good story and it's interesting all the way through and it's got mysteries and whatnot. One thing we haven't talked about at all, it's not a very exciting thing, but okay. I think that Tony Todd today looks perfect for Candyman, but in this movie, he looks like a, like a clean cut gospel singer guy who should be wearing <laughs> a little suit. Like he does not... <laughs> He just doesn't do it. He, he did not look right. Huh. They should have gone with Eddie Murphy like they said they were going to do. Oh, I can't even. <laughs> I can't imagine I that. literally cannot wrap my brain around that idea. Yeah, that's weird. That was a, an IMDb uh, bit of trivia. They said that they were talking to Eddie Murphy first. Glad that didn't happen. Or maybe it would have opened a whole new aspect of eddie murphy's career who knows he missed out other fun fact throughout the three or so Candyman movies tony todd has been stung 23 times inside his mouth by bees so he really does put bees in his mouth he set up a contract that he gets paid a thousand bucks every time it happens well that's pretty smart yeah Mm, that's a little motivation to put bee in your mouth, <laughs> I guess. It's not great. I, I would not be excited about that. But No, I did wonder happens. that, though, during that scene where he is, where he kisses Helen with the mouthful of bees. I was like, it looks a lot like he actually has bees in <laughs> yeah. his mouth. They were all covered with all kinds of bees. They talked about how they Gross. used uh, very young bees because they're less likely to sting or fly away, but they still do. So, well, yeah, because yeah. somebody's got them in their mouth. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. said it took half an hour to put all the bees into his mouth and 45 minutes to vacuum all the bees away with a safe vacuum. <sighs> yeah. So, fun stuff working with bees. But I'm going to give this one four medicine cabinets out of five also because I, I really liked it. I don't have any real complaints about it. It's just not, it's not amazing. It's obviously got some problematic stuff, but I feel like for 1992, it was actually 
trying to make a positive statement mm-hmm. about these issues, which is really cool. Mm-hmm. You're right when you say it's in a different category from those other. Like I thought this was part of that 1990s slasher film. Yeah. You know all those. Kill, serial killer dudes with masks, <laughs> Halloween and Freddy and, you know, all those movies. And it is not at all. It's yeah. very different from them because I don't think those movies are really trying to make a point. They're just trying <laughs> yeah. to be fun. And this one was trying to capture a little bit of that fun while making a point, which yeah. seems like is always something that works out for me. Yeah, I like it. And Ted Raimi was in it for a couple minutes. Yay. Yeah. Well, that is our last movie of the month. It is. This was fun. Yeah. We just we get one more episode where we will talk about a marathon of movies that I'm going to do. Probably I will be interviewing you about a marathon of movies that you have watched. But you're going to watch some of them. Probably some. That's going to be fun. Okay. All right. Well, see you back for that. And maybe we'll do a little wrap up on what we thought of the whole month. Maybe. Maybe. Hey. Mm. Blah, 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 blah.